1: could just being me. Amy Winehouse, back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson, rated R. Under 17, 90 minute without parent, only in theaters,
2: May 17th. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life
3: I don't think anyone doesn't struggle with motherhood. I think it is the most horrifying, terrifying thing (laughs) I have ever done in my life. And I fail at it multiple times a day, but I'm committed to it. I mean, I had such bad anxiety after Milo. Did you? I mean, you remember? I do. There were days that I would come into work and I'd be like, I was in the hospital last night with a panic attack. I do remember that now. (gasps) That's right. Yes. And that was all about motherhood.
4: (laughs) Wow. Okay.
3: Yes. It is a really scary thing.
4: (laughs) This is Hello, Isaac, my podcast about the idea of success and how failure affects it. I'm Isaac Mizrahi, and in this episode, I talk to actor, activist, and New York Times bestselling author, Alyssa Milano.
3: Hello, Isaac. It's Alyssa Milano, and I miss you so much, and I love you, and I cannot wait to talk to you.
4: Alyssa Milano is one of the most famous people that I know. I feel like, not only is she famous, but I feel like everybody in the world knows her personally. You know, I met her a number of years ago when we were working together on Project Runway All Stars. She was the host and I was a sort of a judge every week. And we became quite friendly and very close. And what I love about Alyssa is that everyone who meets her just adores her. And she's more than just a really good actor. She's a really smart political activist and a great writer and a really good kind of like an entrepreneur. You know, she just does so many things. I have so many fond memories, including being backstage with her at Project Runway All-Stars and kind of opening up to her and, you know, she's such a great listener. That's the thing about Alyssa. And one thing I think I'm going to try to do is to turn the tables on her and listen to her and ask her some really good questions. So here we go. Hi. Alyssa Milano. Hi. Come on. It's been a minute, darling. How long has it been? It's been... Well, Bella's like, nine. Nine. Well, then, that's how long it's been. I know, because we literally—it's been like eight years. Wait a minute. First of all, you look so great. You, so I, do you? It does not you, honestly, darling. But you look like you're twelve years old. Stop you look it. Like, who's the boss or something? I swear to God. Guess
3: what? I'm <laughs> definitely not twelve years old.
4: Right. No, I know <laughs> that. Wait a minute. By the way, let me just check this. Are you still she, her? Yes. I don't know. Could be. And also, your kids, Milo and Elizabella. What are their pronouns? Do you know Yeah, They
3: are... Yes, I do, actually. He, him, she, her.
4: Okay, right. Interesting. So interesting. You know, it's so funny because I know you as a mom, and later in the podcast, I want to get to talk about that just a little bit, because I think it's a key to your personality that mm. a lot of the listeners mm. would love to kind of delve into. But let's start with a little history. Where are you from originally, Alyssa?
3: I was born in Bensonhurst in Brooklyn. And then... shut up <laughs> you knew that didn't you i did not know yeah. that yeah they don't they don't make this don't in la just... <laughs> <laughs> what the hell brought you to LA? How did you get Oh, what the okay. Hell? So Tell me everything. So I'll I'll go back, all the way the way when So please, when I was four please, years old, years was it was race the race riots in Brooklyn, in Bensonhurst, and someone got someone in shot in yard, front yard and the bullet the through the through the my parents said, parents we okay, we to move to move to give her a better life. And we moved to Staten Island. Um, Pretty. And I lived in Staten Island and I don't know, like I just love to sing and dance. And my mom was a fashion designer at the time, which we've talked about. And
4: right, that she, I knew. she
3: used to do these fashion shows. It would be at like Magique or Studio 54 after fashion shows mm-hmm. and like as a party. And she had... Dancers wear her clothes and one of our dear family friends um, had her her equity card, uh, which is the union for theater, and she's babysitting me all the
4: time. And so, do you see where this is going? She. I do, ish, but I it's a big leap, darling. It's a big leap from liking to sing and dance and having a friend to being you, like on a set at your tiny little age of twelve. You know. I was eight when I auditioned. You were eight.
3: Yeah, I auditioned yeah, for Annie. It was an, it was an open. Anti audition. There were fifteen hundred mm-hmm. kids there, and four were picked, and I was one of the wow. four. And so I I toured around with the second national touring company, and then got off the road and auditioned for a a pilot called You're the Boss.
4: Ah, and wow. I didn't
3: really know what any of it meant, but I did know that the cute guy from Taxi was going to play my dad. <laughs> I was ten. Right, exactly. I was ten years old, and I got wow. I got the pilot. Damn. And we flew to L.A. to shoot the pilot, and then I went home, and I that was it. Who's we? It was me and my dad at the time. Okay, right. Because my mom had this thriving business. And then we went back to, to New York, and just, you know, that was fun, whatever. And then about seven months later, we found out that You're the Boss was picked up, and it was now called Who's the Boss?, Wow. And this is so, just... but then, you know, there was a conundrum because my mom was like, I'm not moving to Los Angeles. So my dad and I, the whole first season of Who's the Boss? We lived in LA, which this is like a whole other series. We lived in LA alone. Wow. It kind of mirrored what Sam and Tony were going through. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> Right? And then, right. Uh, you know, because my mom was like... I'm not moving to Los Angeles. TV shows don't work. And then we're going to have to move back. My brother was one at the time. She's like, I'm not going to move the whole family. to. My parents are still married, by the way. It's been 56 years or something like that. Um, This was also a time when, you know, there were Nielsen ratings and there were only three networks, right? There wasn't even Fox yet. So if a network believed in a show they were very likely to figure out how to get viewers. Uh, Very unlike Mm -hmm. now, you know, where they just pull you after three episodes. And um, we were like last in the Nielsen ratings the first year. Really? Like dead last because we were against family ties. This is how long ago that was.
4: Jeez.
3: And then season two, ABC said, you know what? We're going to put you on after Happy Days. (laughs) Again, this is how long ago that was.
4: JCCs, yeah,
3: and we became a top ten show, and it we were uh, on the air for eight years. So I was eleven to nineteen
4: years old, darling. I've always wanted to ask you this, and you answer it however you see fit, okay? Mm-hmm. Because I know a lot of people who started as children in this industry. You know, I know Natalie Portman since she's twelve, and it's amazing how some of you kind of escape that unscathed or Mm. relatively unscathed, and some of them don't make it. Is there something you attribute to having made it into being such a, not just a good adult, but like a fucking exemplary adult, you know? Like like a role model for so many people. Like, how did you do that? How did you escape all of that?
3: I don't know that I escaped it. I think... A few things. One, I think that the industry, um, when you're a kid, it's very hard, but it magnifies the person that you would be regardless. And what I mean by that is, like, if you come from a hard family and and an unhappy childhood, the industry, because of everything that it enables you to be for better or for worse, and all of the yes people and all of the people that tell you you're great, it will magnify. Yeah, I believe that the kids who have a hard time in the industry would have had a hard time no matter what they were doing. Mm -hmm. Um, I really believe that. And because I believe that, I have to give so much credit to my family and my support system who consistently and always reminded me what was important in life Mm -hmm. and what the responsibility was to be a public figure and how Mm -hmm. that's really such a blessing. That
4: is a blessing. At 11, though, darling. At 11. Correct. You know, I mean, it is a blessing. And you talk about a kid having a hard time otherwise, right? I totally get that. And what you're saying is that it's a magnifying glass, right? Correct. I also talked to Brooke Shields a couple of weeks ago, right? Mm -hmm. And she was talking about a kind of work ethic that we grew up with. Like, you know, I think about Elizabella. Like, how do you feel about her doing what you did as a young kid?
3: She's doing musical theater right now. She's actually rehearsing Annie and she's doing The Little Mermaid. And the way I kind of feel about it is, well, first of all, kids come out who they are and they love what they love, right? And you can't change that. And I got to the point where, you know... She wanted to do musical theater. We had taken her to see Wicked, and I got to the point where I was like, "Who better than me to have a child who wants to explore this part of their creativity?"
4: And so she finds great. Said Judy about Liza, but you know, go on. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I had to say that. She
3: finds great individuality and right. great confidence in it. Now, mind you, she's also really great at math and she plays soccer and all the things, which I think is very important to expose kids to to all the things that they show an inclination towards. But who am I to, to get in, in a child's way as long as they're not being hurtful? or hurting themselves. Right. I need to allow my children to explore who they are and what what that means for them in the future, who they want to be in the future.
4: When you were doing that job, for, it was many seasons, seven or eight seasons, right? Like a really long time. Yeah, I was 11, no, more.
3: 11, 11 to 19. 11
4: to 19. Wow. So that's like almost 10, 10 years of your life. I mean, and those when are you were big doing years. That job, right. When you were doing that job, it was a different world, darling. I mean, they would, work you a little bit more than they might today. Do you think that's true? Um, Was it more comfortable for you?
3: I think the business actually was very good for me at that age because Mm -hmm. I was diagnosed with dyslexia. So I don't know Mm -hmm. that being in a normal school would have actually been okay for me. Mm -hmm. I think that being tutored on a set uh, enabled me to have the best education I probably could have ever had or or dreamed of because of my learning difference. And also, I feel like, I mean, you know these people, Judith Light.
4: Oh, love. You were so lucky. That was lucky. I was really lucky. You were lucky. She is one of the great people.
3: I mean, when you think about how many people I could have been stuck with in the 80s. <laughs> mm-hmm.
4: Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. And then there's Tony dazzle who's um, also such a gem uh, of a guy.
3: Amazing you know? I mean, human. One
4: or two times I've met him. Yeah.
3: Amazing no, it's human. It's really I mean, true.
4: You lucked out. You lucked out. I, I lucked out,
3: out you with did. my own family and being born into this incredible family. But also I lucked out with my TV family, who maybe not equally shaped the person that I am, but had a big part In contributing to who I am and accepting it. Yeah.
4: I can only conclude that it is about your family, the family that you come from. Like, you know, you started the whole thing by saying the kid's going to be who the kid is as an adult, regardless. And if they're troubled as a kid, it doesn't matter if show business happens or doesn't happen. I agree with that. And I remember Natalie's parents, you know, Natalie Portman's Mm -hmm. parents were really, really. Like solicitous and diligent about caring for her, mm-hmm, you know what mm-hmm. I mean, and making it okay for her, you know. And then I think about y- you and your like openness to this kind of otherness. Otherness is there a word such as otherness? And I think like you looking at Isabella. Me too. I like it too. I'm thinking of you looking at Milo and Isabella and going, you know what? Whoever these kids are, that's why I asked you about their pronouns at the top too, because I feel like motherhood is not for everybody, you know, because I feel like I knew you when Milo was a tiny, tiny yes. baby too. I, I feel like it was right at the top of that. Like you had just said Milo and Milo is less than a year old when we first met. Exactly. Well, there you go. And so, and I, I, I don't think you ever struggled with motherhood. Did you? <laughs>
3: <laughs> oh,
4: darling. Oh, 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 I don't know what this means. Tell me everything. What does it mean? What does it mean? I don't think anyone
3: doesn't struggle with motherhood. I think it is the most horrifying, terrifying thing I have <laughs> ever done in my life. And I wow. fail at it multiple times a day. But I'm committed to it and I feel like it's what you put into it, it's what you get out of it. And um but yeah, I mean, I had such bad anxiety after Milo. I mean, you remember you? There, were, there were days that I, I would come do. into work and I'd be like, I was in the hospital last night with a panic attack. I do remember yeah. that
4: now. <gasps>
3: That's right. Yes. And that was all wow. about motherhood.
4: <laughs> wow. Okay. Yes.
3: It is a and, really scary thing.
4: And how old is Milo now? He's 12. He's only 12. God, thank God. Thank God you didn't say he just graduated college because yeah. I would have believed you. Yeah, you know?
3: well, I mean, it's only um, five years away that he goes to college, which I'm so aware of. But,
4: but, but, you know, I often wonder about the modern concept of motherhood because we were raised by women who also had anxiety. You know, my mother had a huge amount of anxiety. And you know how close I, I am yes. to my mom. And you know how important she was in my life. Yes, And I was perplexed, bewildered, um, you know, a little hurt by her anxiety. I I never knew what to make of her anxiety. And I think maybe it's better. Like, did you ever talk to Milo about it?
3: Oh, both of my kids are fully aware. Yes. Because, you know, they're fully downloaded because we... You and I are from a time when you didn't talk about it. And first of all, I'm sure you've seen all the reports. There is a rise in anxiety and depression in young people. Mm -hmm. And so I just got to this point where I wanted (sighs) mental health to be as important as and as common as going to the dentist for them. Like Mm -hmm. we have someone that we talk to as a family. I call them the feelings doctor. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really important that for me and my history of anxiety, that my kids are raised with this idea that if you're going to go to the dentist, if you're going to take care of all of your vaccinations, and if you're going to take care of your heart, then you also have to take care of your mind. And so I don't know if that's going to make them more neurotic or less neurotic, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but I do know that um, that ignoring it for me didn't help me at all. And it, you know, just got to the point where the only way out was in or through. And I think when you are not healed entirely from your own childhood, and this has little to do with being a child actor and more to do with just, you know, growing up is hard... Um, mm-hmm. I think when you have your first child, you're healing the little child inside of you at the same time you're raising this child that is outside of you. Wow! And I think it became for me that my own childhood insecurities, I was projecting onto my children. And so right. I needed to heal the little girl inside of me so that I could let that go and just mm-hmm. really have a foundation to build on for my children. And so that's what I've tried to do. I mean, we'll see what happens. I don't fucking know.
4: Right, right. That's the only smart thing to say, right? That's the only smart thing to say. And the other thing I'm going to observe is that, you know, for you, it was an important step right like motherhood was a foregone conclusion like you wanted to be a mom right there wasn't a question about that whereas for me i wonder if i'll ever heal the little boy in me or the little whatever in me <laughs> whatever because i'm not going to have you know i never had kids i never went through the the the
3: i can tell you whole... you would be an amazing father
4: well i i guess i would if i could get over like how fucking selfish i am i'm serious And yet, darling, we know people in show business who are such narcissists, like Mm -hmm. unchecked. We have been witness to Mm -hmm. unchecked narcissism. And I don't think either of us are. I mean, look, at least I admit that I'm too selfish to have a kid. Not even too selfish. I'm too crazy. I I think I would make this kid insane, you know. Um, I disagree, but go on. Well, what do you think? Because according to the story, you didn't really have a stage mom. I didn't. I didn't. No, and so what was there at the core of your little girlhood that you're healing do you know what it is oh
3: yeah um feeling othered mm-hmm. going through puberty on tv in front of millions of people because again right. at that time there was there were <laughs> there were only three stations so when you were a top 10 show <laughs> it meant yes. there were you know 30 million people watching you every every week yeah. um mm-hmm. And I have childhood sexual trauma, and wow. so and you know having that then raising a little girl who is oh, my, my mini me, and who every time I look at her at, especially at this age, I am reminded of that trauma um, yeah i mean it's yeah. it's it's a lot it's a lot Say no more darling. it's a lot That's a and then lot. also like this That's thing of. Feeling like I didn't choose this path; it chose me, and I never really figured that out. And I never really thought about if there was anything else that I wanted to do in life. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I got to a certain point where I'm, I was like, "Okay, not the young ingenue anymore, right?" Like after Charmed mm-hmm. was over, I'm not—I'm not the young ingenue anymore. I'm going to start aging, like. Do I want to be in this business as someone who's trying to h- hold on to a youthfulness that that isn't fooling anybody like how <laughs> like how how do I want to to enter this second half of my life as a woman mm-hmm. and feel fulfilled because I've been working now since I was 7 so uh, and wow. I'm 51 so right. um So yeah, you know, we all go through ups and downs. And I think that I'm just one of those people who's really into just dissecting the human psyche and learning and growing and evolving and Mm -hmm. um, wanting to make sense of myself and humanity.
4: Well, I mean, I, I have to say, getting back to what you were saying about what do you do now that you're not an ingenue, right? And show business, which is such a a a, a punishing, punishing business. It really Especially is Especially for women. Especially for women. Yeah. <laughs> Ditto, jinx on you. Yeah. Um, but you know, I don't want to use this sort of hackneyed old phrase of self-reinvention, because I don't see you as having reinvented yourself. You know, you're a really good actor. You're an amazing, darling, you are an amazing activist. Like, I follow you on mm. social media, darling. You don't shut your mouth on You say what's what needs to be said, I think, right? And you're an entrepreneur. I remember you were doing that amazing collection of sportswear. Does that still exist?
3: It doesn't, At, actually, the, because okay. all, all of the major companies are doing their own amazing versions of sportswear. Right. They are. You're so but right. I still find so much pride in the fact that I gave female sports fans... Uh, the first fashion forward fan apparel you know because at that time it was just about pink it and shrink it
0: (laughs) happy pride from tomboy x we just dropped our pride 24 collection queer founded queer run and creating size and gender inclusive underwear swimwear and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin visit tomboyx.com to shop
1: it's just be in me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th.
2: This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of. A degree that employers will trust and respect.
4: I think you have a very full life as a woman and as an entrepreneur and as an actor. So talk about this for a minute. First of all, do you identify as a writer now more than an actor?
3: I really love writing and producing. I don't know. I don't know that I identify as as one thing. I'm sort of career fluid.
4: (laughs) Right. What do you like to do? What do you like the best?
3: I really like to write. I think writing suits my personality the most because Mm -hmm. I have social anxiety. So it's funny because during the pandemic, I was thriving (laughs) Because, because I was at home and I was taking all these classes over the internet and writing so much. Like I wrote my book of essays during the pandemic. And, you know, I remember this feeling of like, why am I thriving right now? And I realized it was because everybody else was in this state of total hysteria Mm
1: -hmm. and
3: it matched how I normally am. And so I could look at people and go like... (laughs) I
4: know, I felt the same. Right?
3: Like, see? I told you everything's fucked up. See? Mm -hmm. Now you believe me, right? Now you believe me. So I I just felt like I could explore parts that had I been like on a set and working, I couldn't really explore Uh, about my creativity. Like I taught myself Mm -hmm. how to watercolor paint. I took feminism classes. I did a, Mm -hmm. a, a bunch of things for me that I never would have done before. So mm-hmm. um, I don't know. I don't know that I identify as one thing. I do know, Isaac, that to go on a set would have to be a very special project. Mm-hmm. You know, like the only thing I've really done since the pandemic was Brazen, which was the Netflix yeah. movie. Right, And I, I think part of that was because they were like, we will homeschool your kids in in Canada. Right. We will rent you a house on the water. You know, your husband can come. And it just felt like, okay, well, if we're going to be quarantined, we might as well all go to Canada and make it right. an experience.
4: And so... Be comfortable and fun. Yeah. yeah. Alyssa, the other thing about you, even though you're really into clothes and you like looking kind of put together and really chic and you care a lot about hair and makeup and all that being pretty right like you are so pretty right like you are pretty thank you i'm just saying it because it's a fact and yet you go do i hold on to this thing that everybody can tell like do i go out there and continue to try to and everybody can google and know how old i am anyway you know it's like why did that occur to you like did you see acting as a detour or something it's so funny to me no, I just think that I got
3: to a point where I realized that so much of beauty and womanhood was about feeding on insecurities. And I felt like if I was going to be okay with aging, because guess what? It's all happening to everyone. Uh, um, yeah, darling. I was going to have to not try to look like I'm not. Aging. And believe me, I did mm-hmm. like the Botox and the filler and all. I haven't done mm-hmm. anything in two and a half years because mm-hmm. I just felt like I didn't look like I was younger. I looked like I was just
4: doing shit to my face. Right. Which is what everybody looks like. I haven't done anything at all. I've never had Botox. I've never had filler. I've never had anything lifted or tucked or anything. And I feel like I look ridiculously old, but that's just my choice. No, see,
3: I think you look ridiculously young, and it's the people that do all the the stuff that they come across older because there's also this weird uniform thing that's going on with the face. Because injections, you can only... Put into certain parts of your face. <laughs> so there's like this mm-hmm. uniform look of like the cheeks or the lips. And guess what? You're not fooling anyone.
4: You're not fooling you anyone. You don't I look
3: mean, any younger. You just look like you got shit done to your face.
4: Right. And you may look a little smoother and a little taut, you know, more taut. And like sometimes, like way, way, way in the beginning. And I'm not talking about like 30 year olds because I don't believe yeah. that. People in their 30s should start with with that shit. But it's like, you know, I have a few friends who, like in their late 50s, they decided to do extremely, extremely minimal, judicious little things. And they look slightly better. They do. They look a little fresher. And you can't really tell that they've done anything, but it's a slippery slope. And within Mm -hmm. minutes, everybody is on their second procedure. And by the second procedure, there's where it just goes wrong, and I know? have. I'm not kidding.
3: I have nothing uh, against other people doing it. I just felt, for me and my me either,
4: by the way, my
3: Thank own sanity. Yeah, my own insecurities that it was not going to be beneficial for me to be chasing a way to look. It was probably going to lead to more anxiety or depression or Absolutely. N- or insecurity so
4: or so um so yeah oh, so God. that's it always does darling it always does so back to you and who you are you are pretty much a social media star and that is really something to covet now because it, it makes for some modicum, like some bit of power. When you have a large social media following, you can do a lot of stuff because you can promote it quickly, right? I think that's Say the
3: it. thing about it is is that like it enables you to control your identity because you're putting stuff out there that you want out there. You know, like when we were growing up, like in order to control an image you had to be asked to be interviewed and you had to say smart things and yeah. all the things. And now it's like you can control your image based on your time and what you want out there. And so I think that that's interesting. I think it makes it hard for people who aren't consistent in their belief system and their core because there's a lot of contradiction right. that happens And so I feel as though it can be helpful to some people and hurtful to some people.
4: I mean, the reason I am wary of it, a little wary of it, because it's not the real world, you know, it's the virtual world. And I know you have to deal with the bad sides of it, too, like trolls, Mm -hmm. you know, and people who hate you. Tell me a little about that. Does it hurt you? How do you deal with that?
3: Um, it does hurt me. You know, I've put it in this weird perspective, and I don't know if this is going to make any sense, but I'm going to just give you a little insight into my thought process on the trolls. I mean, I've had hate mail my entire life, you know, starting God, with Ryan God. White, right? Like, mm-hmm. I just f- have always felt that my activism was going to bring on some right, some version make of,
4: that decision. Of, course, of hate.
3: And of I made course. that decision mm-hmm. at a very young age to not let that impact happen. The change that I could do. But, you know, a weird thing happened with the whole Trump presidency, which was, it appeared that the trolling was all being written from the same, like, talking points. Mm-hmm. And they were all
4: sort the of... The same agenda. They
3: all yeah. had the same agenda, but also, like, it was very specific to who I was. And they were uh, trying to be hurtful to and I kind of got to this point where I was like, there's some troll farm in some foreign country that mm. is putting this all forward. And whether or not that was true, I just convinced myself that it wasn't real people.
4: <laughs> no, it's not personal. It can't be personal, you know?
3: And by doing that, again, whether it's or not it's true, whether it was real people or whether there was some troll farm creating these, it felt as though it made it easier for me to go through. Right. Kind of like, you know when you're you're in the car and someone cuts you off, you can have one of two reactions. You could go you're a horrible driver and fuck you and and that just mm-hmm. m- makes you upset and brings your blood pressure up <laughs> and maybe makes you a little anxious or yeah. you could go, "Ooh, I hope they're okay." Maybe their wife is in the backseat in labor and that's why they're driving crazy. And so I sort of had (laughs) this, I had this switch of like, just trying to make it easier on myself. And so that's kind of the way I've been able to deal with it
4: whenever possible darling that's how you deal with it but sometimes it does really hurt right like cuz i even in my small way i do have trolls and i do have people who attack and say stupid mean things about me what's your trigger point um you know it's like people who resurrect things from the past about me that are so kind of unfair or something about something i said out of context or something i did out of context and so like when I think about you, and I think about your Instagram because I follow you on Instagram, I don't really look at Twitter. I find that just to be too, too just caca. It's just too caca for me. I can't do it. It's a lot it's shit for me. It's you know? a lot. It's a lot. But Instagram can sometimes be very wonderful and helpful and gorgeous, you know. And I look at you and I say, this woman is like putting herself. Out there, like she's practically like confiding in us as though we're like family mates. It's Mm. amazing. You know, it's a pretty great thing that you can do. And then to see the way people react in such a hateful way, it's almost like that is what they are in their dna so maybe it's largely about farms like you said right but also there is a part of our population that is really nasty and they just sit around thinking of nasty awful things to do and not just like mass murderers or something or terrible criminals, but also just lousy, mean, awful people who aren't exactly criminals. But what they do, I, f- I feel, is close to criminal, you know?
3: Well, it's Which harassment, they, right? Like,
4: yeah, if they were screaming
3: those things really in is. your face, you know, that would be against the law. You would be able to right. press charges. But because it's on the internet, and I and I do feel like women get
4: a, a lot of Oh, boy, I do it. They. Wow. I keep saying that. But I, I think about, like, what you do on Instagram now and what you do in the social world right now and what your kids Mm -hmm. are going to inherit in terms of the virtual world versus the real world. Does that ever freak you out just a little bit? Well, yeah. And
3: especially the rise in anxiety and depression with kids. I don't think it's a coincidence that it coincides with the creation of social media, especially for young girls feeling like they're not enough, (sighs) feeling like they need the $70 Stanley to validate Mm -hmm. who they are. They need the Lululemon and the Uggs and all the things and all the skincare phase that these young Mm -hmm. women are going through. So, yeah, but I also think that we're going into it with a lot more awareness than we did 10, 15 years ago. So I try to do whatever I can to protect the kids, but I know that they're going to wind up on my Instagram at some point and look back at posts and see someone calling me a baby killer Uh, because I've admitted uh, to having a boy. See, that's my trigger point.
4: Yes. Ah, I see.
3: Is not see. not right. so much about taking things out of context or any of that or bringing things up from the past. My trigger point is when people are just that hurtful about the, like big things, big right. things.
4: Big things. Something that is so difficult for a woman to begin with, right? And then they make it so much more difficult and so just impossible to control
3: Yeah, it's just, it's hard. And I've been very vocal about having abortions because, Mm -hmm. um, you know, we saw this writing on the wall uh, when Trump was elected. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I wanted to use my own experience with needing health care as a way to um, allow women to speak up and to fight. Against what we all saw was going to happen, it wound up happening anyway. But I, yes, you did. know, to to have that part of my past be used against me, and for people to not think about what that might do to my kids, um, yeah, it hurts.
0: Happy Pride from Tomboy X
1: Just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson, rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent, only in theaters, May 17th.
2: This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at PurdueGlobal.edu.
4: Darling, I would be remiss if I didn't bring this up because I talk about this a lot on this podcast, which is failure, you know? Mm-hmm. Was there some failure in your life and how you learned from that?
3: I'll just tell you what popped into my head. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't think it answers specifically the question of one moment, but it's Mm -hmm. many moments. Um, Well, I love that. Being an activist is 98% failure. Right. There are so few wins in the fight for justice and equality and equity. Right. And so, what has that taught me? When I look at people like Alice Paul, who wrote the Equal Rights Amendment, which would guarantee that women would have uh, the same legal protections as men or childbearing people as men, and that would be forever carved out in our Constitution, which most people don't even realize that women are not protected Mm -hmm. in the Constitution. She died before she was able to see that happen. And... That's It's something that I fight for. And it, I realized I might not see that in my lifetime. And what does that mean? And what I realized is, like, especially through pe- women like Alice Paul or any of our great feminists, you can't be attached to the outcome. That it's got to be about the process. And... I have taken that little thing that I have learned from being an activist and I've put it towards everything that I do. Cuz if you think mm-hmm. about you can't be attached to the outcome. You have to be committed to the process. It means everything. It's parenting. It's a business endeavor. Right. It's a design. It's painting for me. It's learning more. It's therapy. It's evolution. It's whether
4: or not a tree grows when you plant the seed. You know what? I got to tell you, darling, something is dawning on me. I was thinking about it before, you know, the weeks before when when we booked the interview with you and everything. And I was thinking, I look at you as some kind of crazy goddess or something, because I I always (laughs) see you as being so confident. Like, I know you were in the hospital with panic attacks. I know all of that. But, like, when I see you in action on social media or working with you every day, it was like watching some kind of giant. And I think it's what you're talking about. I think it's this idea that you're giving away the whole idea of success and failure, and you're going, this is what it is. I just have to keep on working and moving forward, progressing forward. It was an inspiration being around you for that Mm. many years and watching that in action. And now, like, what I want to do is kind of turn this around a little bit. You were saying activism is 98% failure. Is there one moment that you just were, like, so happy that something that you did, like, was there ever any fruit?
3: I think my first real commitment to activism was with Ryan White. And Mm -hmm. I think that that bore the most fruit. Mm -hmm. And I think because I had a taste of what it meant to support someone, to shine a light, to use my fame to change a narrative, because we were successful in doing that, Right. I think it's something that I can always go back to and be like, you know what? I, I know what success feels like in being committed to humanity.
4: Can you share that story
3: just a little bit? Sure. When I was 15 years old and on Who's the Boss, Elton John called me and told me about a boy named Ryan White who is HIV positive, who was right. thrown out of school and fought for the right to go back to school, who had spoken in front of Congress. And he wanted to meet me because he was a big fan of, of the huh. show. Right. And so I met him and we became friends. And I think what like what you were saying before, it was because we connected because we were both othered. We were both made to feel like we were different and we weren't the same. And we became good friends. And through that friendship, he asked me if I would go on TV to kiss him to prove that you couldn't get HIV, AIDS from casual contact. And I was 15, the height of who's the boss, and I did it. And that single moment where... I was using my fame for something other than like what I had seen other people use it for changed my life. It also changed the way in which I was motivated to continue working because it wasn't just about me. It was about continuing to have a voice so that I could mm-hmm impact positive change. And through that, I mean, I became a, an ambassador for UNICEF. And yes, there have been many moments that have been very gratifying mm-hmm. as an ambassador, as I, you know, have traveled to a lot of countries and seen the devastation of humanity. But I think the thing that I hang my hat on is is this idea that, and I, I think people like Natalie Portman and other celebrities who have started as child actors because a lot of us are activists, if you think about it. A lot of child actors who mm-hmm. grow up in the industry, who've continued to work, Jane Fonda, yeah. I there's so many That's of true. us. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the thing that we all kind of share and ha- are able to hang our hat on is this idea of hope. And hope for brighter tomorrow, hope no matter mm-hmm. who you are and where you come from, the kids that I met in Angola, Africa, only two years after a peace treaty was signed, Ryan White, all of the women that I have helped.
4: Encountered. Encountered. Yeah. But I, I have to hope. say, like Alyssa, hope is is a very, very big word because the thing I want to do with this podcast in the next coming months is I want to kind of make it about the lives we live And the terror of what we're facing, you know, like really the intense craziness that's going on. But what about it brings you happiness or joy or pleasure? What is that? And does it always fall back for you onto the word hope?
3: I think that we are hardwired or pre-wired to have a certain level of hope. I think humanity would cease to exist if we didn't have hope for a brighter tomorrow. I I just feel as though there is so much darkness and there is so much pain and there is so so much much struggle. Why would anybody continue to keep going if there wasn't hope? And I feel like I have been blessed enough to be surrounded by people who have it super hard. I've witnessed the struggles of how bad humanity can be but the thing that connects all of us is this ability to hope.
4: Wow.
3: Right? And to be yes. to be able to like fight another day and fight for mm-hmm. a brighter tomorrow. And that we all have that capacity to dream of that.
4: To overcome and think about yes. the next thing that might be better, tomorrow might be better.
3: And believe me, if the children of Angola can do it, or the children of Kosovo, or any of the places that I've been through UNICEF, mm-hmm. if those children can have hope, we can have
4: hope. We can have hope. Darling, darling. I, you know, I'm obsessed with obits. Did you know that? I like did. every single morning, it's the first thing I wake up and yeah. I read. What is your obits? When is in 20,000 oh, years, God. It's 40 years from now? What does it say? I've never been asked this question. What would you like it to say?
3: Just that I I woke up every morning thinking about how I could make the world a better place and ease the suffering of others.
4: Great. Simple. Great. So good. That's a beautiful thought. Is there something you want to promote on this podcast? Peace. (laughs) 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 <laughs> 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 well leave it to you darling you are like some kind of like shaman or something you have like a a religious energy that comes out of you you know i worked really, really
3: hard really to get do. to this point isaac um and
4: darling you got some good extensions
3: too. Uh, they're good like right
4: hair. Uh, really good yes they're really good I love the bangs it's cute they're your bangs
3: yeah course, they're my right? bangs yeah, i mean a lot name. of this is mine it's just this that's I not see, mine i see
4: it looks really good thank you
3: um I also have a podcast. I have a podcast called "Sorry, Not Sorry." Please come on." Um, I will but for sure. But I we, uh, we highlight citizen activists doing amazing work throughout the world, and uh, yeah, that's the only thing I'd like to promote besides peace.
4: <laughs> <laughs> besides world peace. And you are literally the best person I know. I love you.
3: I love you so Thank much. You. And you're the best person Thank I you, know. And I, I miss you. I miss sitting I miss next you. to you. And I miss all of your quips and your sound
4: bites. And judgment. You miss my judgment. I do.
3: I do. I miss, <laughs> I miss your judgment. And I miss you letting me into your archives to wear all of your oh, fashions whenever I wanted to. That was... Very special for me. Well they're
4: still here. Call when you okay,
3: need to. Okay, like I
4: will. That. I will.
3: Please. Um please, I'm just please, so please. thankful that our paths crossed because I love you very much.
4: Ah. You're the best. You're the best. Wow, that went by first of all in a flash. I did not believe when my producer told me I had five minutes left. I could have gone on and on and on. And here's the thing about Alyssa. I kind of was really hell-bent on, like, listening and listening and listening. And I did, boy. I really listened. One of the things that really struck me in listening was about how she kind of handles motherhood, you know? And one thing I, I feel is different about well, her generation as mothers versus my mother's generation and how I experienced being someone's child, I feel like there's a greater deal now of honesty or something about the subjects of anxiety, of otherness, you know? And that's what's beautiful about her. She does not shirk away from talking about those things. That's really a beautiful trait. Anyway, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this podcast. Until next time. (laughs) Darlings, if you enjoyed this episode, do me a favor and tell someone, tell a friend, tell your mother, tell your cousin, tell everyone you know, okay? And be sure to rate the show. I love rating stuff. Go on and rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts so more people can hear about it. It makes such a gigantic difference and like it takes a second. So go on and do it. And if you want more fun content, videos, and posts of all kinds, follow the show on Instagram and TikTok at Hello Isaac Podcast. And by the way, check me out on Instagram and TikTok at I am Isaac Mizrahi. This is Isaac Mizrahi. Thank you. I love you. And I never thought I'd say this, but goodbye, Isaac. Hello, Isaac is produced by Imagine Audio, Awfully Nice, and I Am Entertainment for iHeart Media. The series is hosted by me, Isaac Mizrahi. Hello, Isaac is produced by Robin Gelfenbein. The senior producers are Jesse Burton and John Asante. It is executive produced by Ron Howard, Brian Grazer, Kara Welker, and Nathan Clokey at Imagine Audio. Production management from Katie Hodges. Sound design and mixing by Cedric Wilson. Original music composed by Ben Waltzer. A special thanks to Neil Phelps and Sarah Katanak at IM Entertainment.
0: Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating Pride and the queer community all year.